listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, Into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined by Philip Russell, and we are coming to you immediately following Game 1 of the Western Conference Semifinals. Suns taking a 1-0 lead over the Mavericks. And Philip, got to be feeling pretty good after that game. Yeah, about as good as you can after a seven-point win. Ryan Rosillo tweeted out a couple minutes ago that there are going to be people who wake up in the morning and think that this was a close game. And there are some national media heads who are already talking like this was a comeback that was just cut short by time. But this was this was a no-doubter from about the middle of the second quarter. 100%. I think I texted you this was the least stressed I've ever been uh, with a lead being cut to seven or whatever uh, in the fourth quarter of a playoff game. But yeah, the Suns had the lead the entire game, something they've done before, and I think we'll see again. But if you're new here, we are Into the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Whether you're listening incredibly late on this Monday evening as we're recording this or watching the next day, thank you for joining us. We are here to cover all things Game 1. Also talk a little bit about our mindsets going into Game 1, into this series, and kind of what we were thinking. We didn't get to do a series prep episode, and I'm going to go ahead and take the heat on that one. As the guy who has been uh, staying up late to edit a lot of post-game episodes here, I chickened out a little bit. We gave ourselves a bit of a break, uh, and we're able to kind of merge those into this one. Yeah, go ahead, Philip. Also, allow the audience to share in your joy that you got to go to a really cool soccer game on Sunday. I did. On Sunday, I went and watched Nashville SC's home opener, also the first game ever in their new stadium, the biggest soccer-dedicated stadium in the United States, I think maybe North America. So yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a great week, and I, I needed a break. The, the late-night recording and editing and video editing uh, it, it takes a wee bit of a toll, but when you get nights like this where the Suns just take care of business, beat the Mavs for the 10th time in a row, which is just incredible. I catch it's incredible. Uh, it feels feels good. But let's go ahead and go before we get all breakdown and analytical here. I like every time we do these to just go first thoughts. We're coming straight off of watching this game. We don't get the luxury of watching it back. We've hardly analyzed the box score. Philip, first thoughts after game one. Did the Suns win the 2018 draft? I'm just kidding. That's not it. If you are curious, though, there is a (laughs) wonderful episode of ours uh, hiding in the uh, ether somewhere. I definitely know it's on YouTube, actually. It's our best performing YouTube video. But yeah, man, we we will not participate in Luca versus Aiton discourse. No. But it is funny to bring. No, if there's anybody on the Suns who should be compared to Luca, it's got to be Devin it's, Booker. It's not but, the number one pick. But oh, oops, Luca is so good. He mm-hmm. is a very, very good basketball player. He played pretty well to really well on the offensive end tonight, but the Suns withstood that because the Mavericks defensively just weren't it. And I think that's the that's the thought that's at the forefront of my mind as we're going into this thinking like I don't I don't know what the Mavericks response will be some people are going to think because of the last few minutes of the game that the response is going to be to go small the Suns were still getting good looks they just went cold 
down the stretch, which is okay. Cold stretches happen during during games and during series. I don't know how the Mavericks will defend the Suns throughout this series. Yeah, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. Uh, my first thought is actually a question to you and a question to the listeners as well. It was one of the first things I tweeted out tonight, but can you imagine going from having to play the Jazz to having to play the Suns? And my question comes from this. What other team in the playoffs do you think has had a bigger, I guess, jump in difficulty than the Mavs? And so here here are your options. So we've got the Mavs went from the Jazz to the Suns. I think that is a pretty hefty leap. Um, And then I was trying to think of others. I think the Sixers going from a depleted Raptors to a healthy Heat is a pretty big step up but I still don't feel like it's quite the same. Can you think of any team that has had more oh crap moments when realizing what they're coming from and looking at what they're going into? I think there are two. I think Boston going from playing Brooklyn to playing Milwaukee, even without Chris Middleton, Mm -hmm. there's a physicality that Milwaukee plays with that the Nets just don't have the bodies for. And go ahead and talk Warriors. Go ahead and talk Warriors. And then the Grizzlies going from playing the Timberwolves to playing the Warriors, not in a sense of talent level or even skill set, but just execution, where the Warriors are going to be hunting for good looks. They they know like counters to the counters to the counter, and they're however deep down the bench Gary Payton sat at the beginning of this season was he's in, he's starting, he's playing crunch time minutes. There's just a there are levels to this, especially when it comes to execution. And I think you went from the Timberwolves being way down here up to the Warriors who could be on the Suns' level of execution. I agree. And I also think, and this was the other question that came from it, is there any other team where, and I know people are going to question this one, where you could almost say that the second round opponent is easier than the first round opponent? Because I think the Suns may have a case to make there. And I know people will disagree. That's totally fine. I think... Luca alone is on another level. But if you're looking as a whole, the Pelicans have more dudes that I'm scared of than the Mavs do. I also think the Pelicans, though it may have been a surprise to many, had a better supporting cast. And if you look post McCollum trade, they were just as good or better in a lot of categories, statistically speaking, to where the Suns are going from that to this and I think it showed very quickly in the first quarter that they were just immediately more comfortable given the style of basketball the Mavs play do you think that's too big of a stretch or recency with with the Pelicans or what no so this is going to get us into some of the game for tonight I thought in the first quarter the Mavs were playing slow and I think when you play slowly against a team like the Suns they're, the Suns are on a string defensively most of the time. And if you're slow with your decision-making, you're slow with your decisions to drive, to pass, to shoot even, that's giving the Suns an opportunity to get out to the shooter, to recover, to help and then recover, to the corners, to close out there. Later on in the games, the Mavs were methodical. And so I think that's an important distinction that the Mavs are probably going to make as the series progresses. We can't play slow. We need to play methodically and have the sets, have the ideas in mind of what we want to do with the ball. 
and then execute those with with additional pace because the Suns in the first in the first quarter especially were just sitting on all of the Mavs all of the Mavs moves and that wasn't the case later on in the game. Yeah, and shout out to Mike and Sam at the Timeline Podcast. Hopefully, uh, when you guys listening realize that we let you down by not having a series preview, you found some other great options. They talked extensively about the Mavs' pace of play. I think they were 30th in the league, one of the slowest teams by a good margin, and that's just not how you beat the Suns. Uh, Going back to the first series, going back to the Pelicans, I think some of the times where the Suns looked exposed was when the Pelicans picked up that pace. And obviously, we had some weird transition breakdowns that I don't know if we'll see again. Uh, But when you kind of force the issue against the Suns, I just think it allows for more mental lapses, possibly. And the Mavs just don't do that. The Mavs want to get the ball. They want to slowly go down the court, and they want to play a half-court offense that is going to be primarily... A quick set, and if it doesn't work, a whole lot of isolation basketball, which is what allows someone like Luca to score, well, goodness, what did he finish with, 45? Which, again, props props to the guy. The guy's incredible. Uh, but I want to look at some of our questions that we had going into this series. We did the same thing when we, when we recapped game one of the Pelican series. Looking at questions that we had in a way to kind of frame our way of viewing the game I think you described it really well last series, but these are the type of questions that that we have on hand. We put the time and effort into having a way to view it, a kind of a lens of which to view the game. And so I want to go ahead and start with the first question that we had kind of put together. And that's who do the Mavs see as the weak link? Um, that question for me spawned from this idea that, hey, in the Pelican series on both ends, you're going to see teams. I mean, let's be real. It's playoffs everywhere hunting certain switches to get favorable matchups. And so as I was looking at who the Mavs have on offense, I assumed it would be Luka trying to hunt somebody. And I think we saw a a few moments in the game where due to the five that Monty had out there, Luka thought he had a favorable matchup. Uh, But what what do you kind of think was our answer to this one after watching game one? Because I thought there's a few we could have gone with. In game one, I thought it was Jay and Cam Johnson. I thought Luca looked pretty, Luca looked comfortable against Jay. And then he hunted Cam Johnson several times throughout the game. I thought Cam Johnson's on ball contests were really good tonight. I was impressed with, with him. The more he guards Luca throughout the series, the more Faust he's going to get, the more often he's going to get scored on. Because Luca is a top ten player in the NBA, without without question, so that's that's okay. But even even when later in the game when the Mavericks went small and it's a little harder to hunt a mismatch when you go small, then Jalen Brunson seemed to have his eye on Jay Crowder as well. So I think moving forward, it might become obvious that the Mavericks want Jay Crowder to guard their ball handlers on ball. Jay's Jay's strengths a lot of times is guarding slightly bigger guys who might not be as fleet of foot as those two, and then helping off ball using his veteran prowess, like we've talked about on this podcast the last couple yeah. last couple weeks. Yeah, I was gonna say his help side defense is is, is second to none. He's always gonna be where he's supposed to be. Uh but yeah, I thought even even Brunson when he wasn't getting anything, 
seemed to have some level of confidence trying to take Crowder off the dribble. Um, and no, I agree. I thought the refs, and I'm not even going to talk free throw numbers because some some fans out there are already blabbering about that. But I thought the refs did a really good job of keeping the fouls from getting out of control with some of the physicality under the rim. Uh, I thought they did a good job letting verticality play its role defensively, not call every little bit of contact. I think if we have different refs, the foul trouble could have been different. I thought that a few times where if the refs were letting things go a little bit more or, or not letting things go, sorry, it could have been different. But I think Crowder still finished with five. So to your point, I think if they make more of a concerted effort to target him, uh, it'll be interesting. I do want to just give some props to DA. And I think part of this is coming right off of looking at the Mavs jazz series, but how wonderful is it to have a massive center who isn't an obvious mismatch on the perimeter? I thought he did really, really well in the moments where he was switched onto Luca or Brunson on the perimeter even if it wasn't, you know, locking them down per se, even just hedging enough to allow the help to get there to double when they needed to. I thought DA did everything possible to prevent being played off the court, which is something that was a big issue. I do think there's something to get figured out in terms of uh, Kleba's open threes in the corner. Um, I wasn't able to pay enough attention like I probably should have to kind of see what caused that. Obviously, that did go down as the game progressed. I'm guessing there will be some some film watching from Monty to get that sorted out. Um, but speaking of the big fella, second question we had, and this one, again, I think this is you just put the two teams next to each other and you say, I see something on one team that the other team doesn't have. Uh, and the question was, is DeAndre Ayton going to dominate this mismatch? Just looking up and down the roster, the Mavs do not have anyone that you would expect to be able to to shut down or physically match Aiton. Uh, we talked about Valanciunas and what he was able to provide uh, in the previous series. And then looking at this series, that, that guy's just not there. So what did you see out of Aiton tonight? And then based off of what you saw tonight, how do you think that's going to look for the rest of the series? So I'll answer the question that we have up on the screen and then get into some of the reasons. Will DA dominate the mismatch? Almost counterintuitively, when the Mavericks are playing a big man, yes, he will mm-hmm. dominate this series when the Mavs have a big man in. When the Mavericks go small, which I think you have to, after the last few minutes of the game, even though you know the Suns were just cold from the field, I think Jason Kidd has to try that for an extended period of time. So when the Mavs go big, yes, he can dominate the series. When they go small, it's just to be determined because I'm not I'm not putting much stock in the fourth quarter of tonight's game. One of one of the reasons why DA can get so open in this game is because of Luka Doncic's lack of defensive ability to guard somebody one-on-one. The the Mavericks were having to pull a second defender over pretty much every time he switched on to Booker, especially. And the way the way it worked several times, at least in the first half, was as that second defender came over, the Suns were whipping the ball to the wing or into the corner, and Mikhail would drive, take a shot, or as he drove, 
the defender has to respect Mikhail's finishing at the rim because he's one of the best in the league finishing at the rim, which leaves DA open for a little floater in the paint. So they're putting the Mavericks big in a difficult, difficult position. So when that's the case, again, he's going to be dominant. He's going to be open quite a bit unless Luca gets his defense together. Yeah, but if yeah. Luca gets his defense together, it's going to be a Christmas miracle in May. Right. And also credit to Aiton as well. You mentioned that little floater. It's such a, a blessing for this team to have a big who doesn't have to be firmly planted in the dunker spot for a drop off and a dunk. Like the fact that he can take those extra steps back, allowing for more space for Mikhail to operate more area for the collapse to take place, opening up that space. Like Aiden's offensive development has really unlocked. And we talked about this the other night, more and more opportunities for everyone else around him. So uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I'm, I am curious to see what just as the series progresses, we know, Changes are going to be made. Adjustments are going to be made. I'm curious if there will be one of those moments where the Mavs try to go small and the Suns say, DA is going to take advantage of this. Uh, We saw moments in the fourth, and I know you mentioned it. We were just cold. We looked like they looked off. But there were times where those switches kept happening and he finally got onto a Brunson or someone like that underneath and we couldn't take advantage. I'm curious if that's something that can be replicated if the Mavs do swing that. Because if the Suns can figure that out, that's something the Mavs really can't handle. So DA looked great. Uh, I know a lot of people are probably going to be asking, why didn't he get more touches? The man was on fire. I think you already answered that when the Mavs went small. It just just changed the look of things and it changed those opportunities. Uh, But let's, let's flip the script a little bit. Let's go to the defensive end of things. And this is a question that we asked just a week ago when it came to Brandon Ingram after I think game two, will the Suns just let Luca cook? I think there is a apparent box score answer to this question. But again, I want to, to look more big picture here. As you look at the Mavs, how they're constructed, how they play again, a very ISO heavy, a very half court heavy offense. Do you think the Suns can just let Luca get his and take the W on the way out? Yes, because you can say yes. You can say yes and if needed. Yeah, and I'm definitely I definitely need to strongly, strongly qualify this. Several defenders for the Suns made Luca work hard tonight. We would all expect Mikhail Bridges to make Luca work really hard. But Chris Paul, when he got switched onto Luca several times, he got up underneath Luca before Luca could even dribble. So he's just exerting that extra energy. He's having to start backing CP down from the three-point line, not letting him just kind of get to the elbow and then start backing him down. He's making him work. Cam Johnson, we've already mentioned several times, just really good contest, one-on-one on ball with Luca. So when we're saying, well, the Suns just let Luca cook, we're basically asking, are the Suns going to overhelp off of Luca? And again, with the starters in, the answer is no, but as you've already pointed out, there's a question of when JaVale's in, does JaVale have the defensive discipline as Luka is driving? When he's a weak side defender, the weak side kind of in an instant becomes the strong side. If Luka is doing kind of a drive across the lane, does JaVale have the discipline to stay home on his shooters? 
that's something that we'll see. And if the answer is no, we would expect Monty to make some changes to the rotation. And that's kind of what got Gobert killed was was this inability for the five to not want to stay home in the paint when someone's driving in. Uh, to Gobert's credit, the Jazz have zero defense outside of him. And so in his mind, he probably was just like, well, it's either a dunk or an open three. I'll at least try to prevent one. The Suns defensively around the big have a whole lot more help. But uh, I, I agree, we'll have to see. Luca obviously finished with 45. Uh, 11 of 14 from the free throw line. That'll be a number that gets talked about. 15 of 30 from the field. Four of 11 from three. Uh, interesting number. I I was keeping track with his threes because I was curious if that's what he kind of would end up resorting to when he didn't have the ability to blow by the much better perimeter defense that the Suns have rather than the Jazz because he, he kind of uses that as his bailout, right? That's never his... First point of attack, he kind of goes through his options like A, B, C, and then D is usually step back three-pointer over someone. It's always contested. I don't think I can call tonight's three-point shooting an off night, right? Like four of 11. Sorry, let let me clarify this. I think if he hit six of 11 or seven of 11, that would be like, that's ridiculous. That was good defense. He should not have made those. I think four of 11, given the defense he was shooting over, seems pretty fair. And I think he'll have a hot night or something like that. But given how dead he looked, how tired he looked, how worked he was, I mean, I feel like if he went six of 11 on a night like tonight, that'd be pretty surprising, don't you think? Yeah, in last round, he shot 36 and change percent. And that's exactly what he did tonight. That's right, what it is tonight. Yeah. Yeah, so so he shot from three what he shot all last series so nothing nothing too surprising from there but when i know there might be panic for some fans maybe they didn't stay up late or they don't remember when they the wake game up super and see well the score. and you well and you look and you see 15 of 30 and you go oh man can we actually stop luca the answer is yes in the second quarter he was three of nine from the field and then in the third quarter he was two of seven from the field so in the heart of the game the Suns were doing a good job making him work again, extremely hard from the field. And then in the fourth quarter, he went five of five from the field. So you can see his his shooting numbers are a bit inflated from that run down the stretch, including he had three layups. I was gonna say, in, he had some bunnies the at the quarter. end that they just kind of opened up for. They, they, yeah, it was Olay defense. They were just yeah. letting him letting him get those shots and allowing the clock to run down. It was the don't foul kind of right. defense. And I think the last two potentially were with Jay as the primary defender. Mm-hmm. Jay's not fouling out. He's going to let him go. They just want to kill clock and go. But yeah, it ends up being a seven point win. If I remember right from what we were talking about right before the podcast, I think the Suns were up 21 with eight minutes to go in the fourth. I think that was when we had the Cam Johnson dunk followed by the JaVale dunk that put him up 21, which was the largest lead of the game. And then from that eight minute mark, the Suns couldn't do much offensively. And they had a lot of good looks. And that's why I'm not worried about it. I think how you described it was great. They went cold. The Mavs did not do anything to warrant those shooting numbers. We had missed bunnies from DA. We had missed mid-ranges from Booker that he normally hits. It looked like everyone was, what is it, like pulled the string or whatever, like just going short over and over front side of the rim. It just looked like they were off. But I don't give the Mavs any credit for that, honestly. So I'm not concerned. I think 
I think Luca will – that's what's so funny. Part of me is like, I think Luca will have his one big game where maybe he wills him to victory. The dude dropped 45. That's a crap ton of points. I think when they had 63, he had 31 because that number jumped out to me when they're like, oh, 31 for Luca," And I looked down and I'm like, the dude's got half their points. And I think they were down like 14 or so at that point. So, again, we we joked last series when Booker went out – it was the, okay, if you were ranking the best players in this series, who has the top whatever, right? If you were putting the Suns and the Mavs together on a chart, Suns fans, you might not like this. I think Luke is number one on that chart. How many Suns players before you get to the Mavs second best player? Like, thought question for you here. I think, I think you got Chris, you got Devin in either order. I think you have DA. I think you have Mikhail. And then then it starts it's I mean then it starts getting into arguments. Right. Right. It starts getting into arguments after that. And that's that's one of the keys of this series is it's the everybody else. That it's not it's not a matter of best on best. It's a matter of, as we've been saying, death by a thousand cuts. Out execute these guys and overwhelm them. The Suns had six guys in double figures campaign with nine. They would have had seven dudes in double figures tonight. Like that is, that is a hundred percent right. I actually, you sent the text death by a thousand cuts. Thought about making that the name of the episode, but I didn't know if that would somehow get us in trouble because you know, the whole death and cuts part. But I think you're right. We've talked about that ever since the Steve Kerr interview, just keep doing what we know you're supposed to do. And they cannot hang with us. Uh, I I think you're spot on there. So we kind of touched on it already. You had brought up the question as well. How well will the Suns guard Jalen Brunson? He is coming off of a money-earning series against the Jazz, taking full advantage of his time without Luka. Foul trouble kind of prevented us from seeing a lot early on. Uh, He got three pretty quick. But even when he came back, I still thought we had a a bit of an idea of what that's going to look like. What did you take from how the Suns defended Brunson? And just for those listening that maybe didn't get to watch, he finished with 13 points, going 6 of 16 from the field, missing his one three-point attempt. Uh, and then I also think, important to note, only three assists with one turnover. So what did you see tonight from the Suns' defense and how they played Brunson? Jalen Jalen looked really good last series in space against bigger defenders. There were several times his footwork in the lane looked outstanding. He his spins, his little sidesteps that he had in the lane, the hard step into a pivot and a spinning jumper. He looked really good. I thought the Suns did a really good job tonight of contesting those shots and contesting those shots after making contact with him. Mm-hmm. I thought at least a couple times that I'm remembering, Jay did a nice job making. Jalen come into his chest. DA with his length was able to contest his turnaround jump shots really well. And I think the Suns especially did a good job with that in the first half. Again, I think the Mavericks might have found something that they're going to try in the second half by going small and hunting Jay. But so far, so good on this. And just for the listeners, this was my only question coming into this series. I I looked and watched the Mavs and I was unnecessary, maybe not unnecessarily. I was overwhelmingly confident 
in the Suns' ability to win the series, even if the series goes six games, which I think is probably worst-case scenario for the Suns. Six games, Mavs win two because Luka is an incredible player. If the Suns do a good job guarding Jalen Brunson, that most likely means that the Mavericks aren't getting as great of looks off of Luka's passes, which is perfect for the Suns. Force him to give up the ball, and you're playing good defense still once he gives it up. Yeah, I thought Brunson in the Jazz series really benefited from two things that kind of worked together. Uh, First of all, the Jazz perimeter defense is what some would call doo-doo. They couldn't stop anything. And so what Brunson got a lot of were good looks and good switches where, like you said, he was working in that like elbow-ish range, even a little closer to the cup. And he is just using fantastic footwork, quick moves, quick pivots, quick head fakes to just dizzy and confuse some poor big fella. And then he took advantage. I think the two things that he didn't get to do tonight were one, easily get to his spots. And I think that was due to the Suns just having significantly better perimeter defense than anything he saw last series. And then to a much bigger, stronger man or two or three waiting for him down there. So I I thought, I, I don't know. He, he doesn't concern me. And I'm going to be real with you. Like, I know I have a very pessimistic approach to a lot of stuff going into anything Suns related. Not pessimistic, maybe just sad and worrisome at times. I was not concerned about Jalen Brunson in the slightest. I just wasn't. Like, what he has that makes him special, I don't think works well against the Suns' half-court defense. Like, he's not going to be the dude that outruns you in transition. He's not the guy that's going to play so quick you're not ready to get set up. The Mavs' whole offense is predicated on getting to the half-court, setting up shop, and then doing work. And that's just not going to cut it. And I also think, not to belittle his talent, a lot of his performances having the massive impact they did is because Luca wasn't out there. You're not going to have those ISO opportunities. You're not going to have the ball in your hand as much when Luke is back. And we saw that again, like those opportunities just aren't there when they play such a similar style of attacking basketball. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm oversimplifying the question, but I'm just not concerned about him. No, this is this is a thing with NBA teams and the NBA teams who are just trash. Somebody scoring 20 in an NBA game, which is why you have you have players like Jalen Green who can go an entire rookie season and basically average 20. You have guys like Jeremy Grant who can get buckets when they're on bad teams. Someone's going to score. So his I think his stats were probably inflated. But the thing that the Suns have that most teams don't is you have Mikhail who can guard Luka one-on-one pretty well. But then when Luka gives it up, unless it's coming off of some sort of action to get um, mismatches, Devin Booker's going to be on Jalen Brunson. That's not an easy matchup for Jalen. Mm-hmm. Devin Booker does a it's good a lot of, job. It's a lot of guarding one-on-one. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I, I agree. I think, I think, Brunson's going to have a tough time putting up any 41 pointers or whatever he did. Uh, But those were kind of our questions going into the series. It seems like most of our questions were answered quite positively, which may foreshadow some, some takes as we look at the rest of the series. Uh, But just some game one takeaways questions that we thought of as we were watching 
maybe things you saw and you want to know how did this happen? What's going to change? Uh, starting with the big one, Philip, how did the lead balloon to 21? Because we just saw in the Pelican series a very Suns esque script from quarter to quarter uh, in the games that they won, which is get this lead uh, big enough to where in the third, the other team can claw back. And then in the fourth, we have enough of a lead that we kind of sit still. We're steady. We have our 50 and 0 when leading and going into the fourth, which is now 50 and 1. The Suns kept the foot on the gas, uh, winning every quarter except the fourth. They were up 10 after one, up 13 after two, up 17 after three. And then could not hit a shot for about eight minutes and still won by seven. How did the Suns get to the point where they're up 21 with multiple rotations, multiple different lineups? Like this was not a, we throw out Ish Wainwright at the five against the Spurs. We have a group of five who are killing it and we're going to ride them till they die. This was within the normal flow of the game. The Suns just repeatedly taking care of business. How do you think we got there? And then I guess my part two, is it repeatable? One guy played poorly tonight, like really poorly with no redeeming qualities. Read my mind. Do you know who it was? Tory Craig would be my assumption. Tory Craig. Do you know how many minutes Tory Craig played? My memory, maybe like eight to 10. Three. Really? (laughs) So this goes back to the classic. Don't play bad basketball players. Just don't. Play people, play people who are competent, play people who know your sets, play people who know their roles. Three I minutes. Every, I still can't every, get over that. Everybody so else. many bad plays in three minutes. That's <laughs> what I can't get over. I can think of two or three moments where we texted back like, ah, Tori, where did this, I want Tori of last year. Three minutes is shocking. Sorry to hop all over your point. You can keep no, going. You're all good. That's you're all surprising. Good. Now, was JaVale good in the first half? No, probably not. But that redeeming quality of the steal, the look away and the dunk, that was awesome. That was very fun. So he was he was okay. He was okay. Because of that, you get good campaign minutes, mm-hmm. which it cannot be overemphasized how important that is. It's not great campaign minutes. It's not mistake-free campaign minutes, but just good solid play from the third guard. Really good Cam Johnson minutes. Fine Landry minutes, a couple of really nice defensive stands from Landry. That is absolutely repeatable for the Suns. Getting just good baseline production from from the entire roster, up and down. Now, tonight's game might wind up being obsolete fairly quickly. Because the way the way the Suns blew, ballooned their lead in a technical sense was they cut up the Mavericks defense. We already mentioned it, so I'm not going to relitigate it here. But because the Mavericks were so devoted to bringing a second defender to Devin Booker, bringing a second defender to Chris Paul, the Suns just knew what to do. And in the second quarter and the third quarters especially, just felt like almost every possession for long stretches of the game, the Suns were getting really good looks. And it's simple stuff. So two guys run out of Devin Book. I'm going to relitigate it because I'm a nerd. The Suns or the Mavericks run two defenders out of Devin Booker. So what do the 
what do the Suns do? They lift someone from the corner. If Cam Johnson lifts from the corner and his defender can't go with him because his defender has to run back to the lane to tag DA as he's rolling, a wide open Cam Johnson three from the wing, you take that almost every time if you're if you're the Suns. So their their offensive execution was just so good at stretches during during this game where there were very few times during those stretches in the second and third that you went, ooh, I didn't like that possession. Ooh, I didn't like the shot that they that they got. Yeah, and talking about just them attempting to double a Chris or a Booker, one of the first texts I sent in our group chat, which, which you brought back later as the game progressed, was Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith cannot hang with a Booker-level player. And what that showed is they don't, they don't have the ability to hang one-on-one against Booker or Chris. And then you saw those doubles. Then you saw the space being created for others. And then everyone just started eating and it looked good. Like it was a, it was a regular season suns win where everything was opening up for everyone. People were creating for one another and it wasn't a, Hey, we need Booker to drop 40. It was a, this team's just really good. And one of the runs was with the bench unit in. And I remember because it was just laughable seeing like the poor Mavs struggle to be like, wait a second. When they take out their five best players, this is still what we have to deal with. And they were just, they were on it, man. I still think the Suns are the deepest team in the league. Uh, There might be some competition out in the Eastern Conference, but I think the Suns have it. And they, they just took care of business. So, Going back, I think we've touched on this one a good bit, but the second thing I wanted to talk about in terms of takeaways, guarding Luka and Jalen Brunson moving forward, do you see much changing from game one to game two, or do you think it's going to be more of the same from the Suns? No, I think Jay's going to have to step up and do and just provide a little bit more resistance than he did than he did tonight, especially if, especially if the Mavericks are surrounding Jalen with guys like Bertans and Kleba. Sidebar though, when those guys are in, the Suns are going to eat Destroy. on the offensive end. Yep. So what what we might see from from this series moving forward is you might see the final scores balloon just a bit because the Suns can match when when the Mavericks go small, and I think the Suns will be able to hunt even mismatches when the when the Mavericks go small because I don't think the Mavericks will be as fleet of foot as the Suns are if they go if they go small. Agreed. And even even when they brought in the three point shooters and they were hitting, the Suns were still matching every three with the two, which is still frustrating watching the lead get eaten into. But when you know that the other team can't hit every three, yet your percentage seems pretty high attacking a very porous defense, I think I think Monty's gonna live with that one. And Going back to attacking a porous defense, this last question probably is maybe oversimplifying things, but the question remains in my mind. Can the Mavs stop the Suns' offense? Plain and simple, Philip. They can make it different by switching, and they'll start switching when they go small. But again, that opens the door to just different kinds of mismatches that the Suns will be looking for. Like on a play like Snap, the one that if you listen to this podcast consistently or you're a Suns fan and you're on Suns social media and you're not familiar with Snap, like read better when you're on Twitter. Like you should be really familiar with that. If everybody switches and there's good communication on that, 
you you can likely stop the initial action with the back screen and the dude flaring out for a three and even the drive itself. But if you start switching, most likely one of those switches is going to be a favorable matchup for the offense. Hunting mismatches like that, that's not the Suns' way, but that might be what the Mavs start resorting to and saying, okay, we're going to take this team-oriented ball movement style and we're going to try to grind them to a halt and make them say, okay, DA, beat Jalen Brunson one-on-one when you're getting the ball at the elbow. I just don't see it happening. Like, I agree. Like, I think that is a a reasonable alternative if they're looking to make a change. Um, and for those who are listening who may not be familiar with Snap or the Spain pick and roll, which uh, is kind of the baseline, we actually retweeted something uh, tonight from a guy named Mo who was talking. He does great breakdowns during the games, which I don't understand how he does it. He has the play on Twitter like 15 seconds later, breaking down what he's seeing. Uh, but you can follow us at the Valley PHX on Twitter and see a whole lot of stupidity from me uh, throughout the game, but also some helpful stuff uh, like a beautiful Spain pick and roll that either gives Chris Paul an open 12 footer Booker an open three or DA beautiful roll to the rim. So check that out if you haven't already. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't foresee the Mavs stopping the Suns on the defensive end. And I don't see the Suns defensively breaking down enough times to let the Mavs win too many games. And so I will ask you the question that must be asked after a game one of a series. The Suns are up 1-0. Based off what you saw in one game, what are you thinking for the series? Suns in five. That's where I'm at too. And do you think that that one Mavs win is going to be due to Mavs performance or a lack of performance from the Suns? I think they have the chops. They showed it tonight at times. If you get if you get Jalen playing well, Luca playing efficiently, and then Kleba playing like he did in the first half tonight, the Mavs can beat the Suns and it wouldn't be it wouldn't be shocking. Yeah, I think I think they can beat them. I don't think they can beat them four times out of seven. I looking at the series around the league and let me knock on wood and do whatever other lucky things. I think Suns fans should feel better than about any other team out there. Can you think of any other team who might feel better about their semifinal matchup? Cause, cause I don't, I don't see that anywhere outside of maybe the Sixers series. And that's just because Embiid's out. Like I feel like I feel like the Suns are in a pretty good spot. Are you going to say the Warriors over the Grizzlies? Because I feel it, like some deep down part of you feels the need to. It's hard. Those kind of series are hard because the Warriors, I don't know how much our listeners pay attention to the rest of the NBA. The Warriors took a shot to the mouth yesterday and they still won. won. It was Draymond, Draymond gets run in the first half. And then Jaron Jackson. Awesome. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And they still won. And, and, and Clay Thompson missed those two free throws. And then on the missed free throw, the Warriors should have gotten it back still, which gave the Grizzlies a shot at the end. So you, you might think Warriors fans are really happy because it feels like they took the Grizzlies' best shot and they're still up 1-0. 
they've reclaimed home court advantage. But just from a big picture view of the series, I think the Suns should feel the most confident, the most confident. And I don't think that's just because we're used to watching them. And I also don't think it's just because of past performances. I even think tonight shows that the Suns should have this series by the reins. Yep. I think Suns in five is a very uh, legitimate and level-headed prediction. We'll have to see. Uh, Game two, for those that are looking forward to that, that will be Wednesday night, May 4th, with another late tip-off, 9 p.m. Central Time, which means that in two days from now, technically one day from now, it'll be 12.30 a.m., and we will be recording a post-game podcast uh, covering everything we're seeing in game two. Hopefully the Suns are up 2-0 heading to Dallas. Uh, but I think that kind of wraps it up. Is there anything else that you feel the need to to cover, to share, uh, to tell the listeners as we head into game two? Go Sun. Man, consistent, poignant, beautiful, everything I look for in you, Philip. I appreciate you. I just get a head nod. Thanks. The audio listeners will love that one. All all five of them that are here at the 45-minute mark, a.k.a. your dad, uh, your wife listening on mute, and the three people out there that really like us. I'm all for it. Shout and Ryan, Isaac. of course. And Ryan, of course. Ryan will be listening. No, uh, guys, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for listening. I am Ethan. And for Philip, this is Into the Valley, the Phoenix Suns podcast. We out. We out.